Hi, this is Wild Nick Brown, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Metalheads, Scott here. Richie. Welcome you to another week of Focus on Metal. Got a great guest this week. Yep, Mick Brown. Tell ya. What, wild Mick Brown. Uh, and uh, wow, like the energy on that dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did. Holy crap. <laughs> he did, he did, uh, he did an episode with, uh, with our good friend Brian Sword on the uh-huh. double stop. Yeah. And, uh, of course, Brian does, uh, career retrospectives. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Brian asked him, the first question Brian asked was really like, who were your influences when you started playing? Yeah. And he he went through the whole interview in like five <laughs> minutes. And I think Mick stopped himself and went, oh, hang on a second. You probably want to ask me about some of those. <laughs> like once he starts talking, yeah, he, there's no stopping him. Yeah. Um, just a funny guy, you know, some really good stories. And I didn't want to ask the same ones that Brian did. Yeah. Because once, you know, once I, once I heard Brian talking to him, um, he's got a very... He's got a kind of a different style to me. I don't want to ask the same questions. Sure, yeah. Um and I think some people like his show like our show uh-huh. and and you know I didn't want to overlap as much. So yeah. uh I did I, I did say straight up when I talked to him that I was going to you know I wasn't going to go to back for the attack. Uh-huh. And then nothing else. Right. So I, I we touched on all Doc and all Lynch Mob. Right. It, this was done just before they announced the reunion. Right. And good good point because at the tail end of it, you do get into it about whether or not he thought it was going to happen or, and everything. So, uh, yeah, no, we're not uh, we're not living in a cave. This was done uh, before that doll officially came to be. So uh, mm. he yeah, did, just, he, his, his answer when I asked him about it, you know, the reasons why they should do it. He's very pretty, interesting. He's blunt. Yeah, he was he's very a, interesting. He's honest. Normally, normally they give, uh, oh, I, you know, the musical thing and, you know, yeah. it'd be great to get back to play with the guys, but he's pretty upfront he, about he, he what was, the reason he was, why. He was and, pretty upfront about everything. So and everybody, and the thing is, when these people say this, yeah, everybody knows the reason they're getting back together for the shows. Yeah. It's simple. It's money. Yeah. And, um, and they, they they spin all these other excuses, which are on you know, there is a part of them that probably you know these guys they want to get back together and they want to have a bit of closure on that part of it. But like if they're not getting the money in the first place, I ain't playing. Yeah, yeah. No, he was like I said though, very high energy. I was thinking uh, like, oh my god, does your six year old have that much energy? Uh, you weren't. I I actually oh, did all this. This was I? your. This was like your yeah. first solo. Uh, I set it up and uh, I said, you know. Uh, I'll you know do you want I'll I'll take this one with Mick and I think you were in the back garden chilling I think after a hard day and work and I think what what did I thought fifty minutes something like that yeah, yeah I yeah. think I probably got ten or twelve questions in in fifty minutes <laughs> he was he was uh, he's just really really good and um, I think a lot of people underrate him as a drummer he's a really good drummer yeah. Um, I think it's because, you know, he's in Dokken and Dokken is Don and George. Yeah. Well, and, good, powerful drummer too. Yes, he is. And uh, he's played, he played with Ted Nugent for a long time. And, yeah. You know, Ted, yeah, 11 years. Yeah. And Ted, you know, Ted is no slouch with, with the musicians that he picks. And um, 
you know, there's obviously certain things I didn't get into with Mick. One of the things I wouldn't mind asking him was the uh, the golf cart incident uh-huh. a couple of years ago because yeah. that that was he's he has a reputation as being a a real party guy. Yeah. And when we had Reb Beach on, Reb was you know how I asked Reb yeah, how right. wild was Mick, and he was like, "Wow, Mick is wild." <laughs> and uh, you can imagine having a a few drinks with him. I'd say it'd be great fun to have a few drinks with after yeah. a gig or something like that. But you know, he's they're He's playing the shows with Dokken in September. I think they're working up one new song. Hope it all goes well for him. Um, after that, I think he's back playing with Don and John Levin and, and Chris uh-huh. McCarvel. So, which, which I find a little bit odd that you know he's going out with the original lineup and then they're going out again with the older guys. But but then again, you know they got to you know pay the bills and That's stuff. That's right. But um, yeah, good drummer. Really nice guy to talk to. Um, Another drummer that definitely talks a lot. Oh, yeah. Which is easy for you for the editing. Yep, it is. But, um, yeah, just, you know, I've, I've, we've spoken to Jeff now. I've spoken to Mick. Um, you have this wish list of guys you want to talk to. And we're whittling through them, yeah. slowly but surely. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so Mick's got his own band out at the moment. Right, Bourbon, Bourbon Ballet. Bourbon Ballet, and... He's doing songs from all the bands he played with, which seems a really cool idea. Yeah. And that was originally why we got him on, was to talk about that. But, of course, you, you talk about that and then you, you get into right. the rest of it. Right. And, um, yeah, just, you know, just a really cool guy to talk to. A nice, nice interview. Yeah, but, definitely. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Just, um, I, I, we're, we're done with Trummers now, are we? Um, well. We are at the moment. At the moment. Yeah, yeah this at is the, the moment. last one. Right, yeah. yeah. All right, so uh, what do you say? Uh, do a track and, uh, and roll Mick. Sure. All right. From the upcoming release from Q5 called New World Order, this one's called The Right Way. I've got Wild Mick Brown on the phone here, someone I've probably wanted to speak to for, I don't know, 30-odd years. Um, 
uh, <laughs> and just through technology, we finally got able to do that, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I've had Jeff Pilson on the phone um, a couple of times. We actually met him once, and I actually did a career chat with Red Beach as well, and he was an awesome guy, and he had great things to say about you too, so... Oh, that guy's something else too. You know, I have good things to say about him. He's a, he's quite a guy. Yeah. So of course, what you, what you're doing now is you have your own band. You've uh, Wild McBrown and his Bourbon Ballet band. Uh, the obvious yeah, question. Yeah, the Bourbon Ballet. Correct. Yeah. Um, you know, we. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. The obvious question is why now? Why have why have your own band now? Well, you know what, really, uh, I met a friend here five years ago, uh, and he he's a musician. He he. He didn't bug me about it, but he kept asking, why Why don't you do that? You Because know, he sees that I have a lot of downtime. I mean, I don't work quite as much as I'd like to. Um, and, you know, it just, um, it turns out that way. So, I mean, I enjoy my my downtime. Believe me, I, the weather's good and I have a, a motorcycle I like to ride. So, okay. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it'd be nice to do my career a little more. And he said, listen, why why don't you do this band? I said, you know why? I said, I don't know how. I said, today's, today's world's changed a lot. I said, um, I'm really not in touch with what's going on quite as much anymore. You know, I have no idea how new bands uh, work. And I, that's horrifying to me anyway. And uh, he said, listen, I'm starting a music entertainment group. I'll, I'll tell you what, you tell me what it takes for, for you to do this. You know, what, what do you expect from it? And I'll do it. And he kind of started, pushed me in the right direction. I said, well, you know, I have no excuse if this guy's going to help, you know? And uh, so we, you know, kind of put it together and uh, <laughs> I have some funny stories if you'd like to hear them. Sure. We, okay. <laughs> Here's the first one. <laughs> he calls up, um, uh, I said, let's just run with the ball and we'll see where it goes. And I said, I don't have no idea what to do. So he goes, okay. He goes, I, I, I live in San Diego and I used to know some people at the, at the house of blues in San Diego. Okay, great. I've played there hundreds of times with Ted Nugent, Lynch mob and Dockin. And, uh, so he calls up. And they say, he says, listen, I have this new band called the Bourbon Ballet from uh, Mick Brown and blah, blah, blah. And the guy says, well, who's Mick Brown? He goes, well, he played in this band called Dockin. Well, who's Dockin? <laughs> he goes, well, he also plays with this guy named Ted Nugent. Well, who's Ted Nugent? He goes, how old are you? And the guy goes, I'm 30. He goes, and you never heard of these bands? He goes, how about the Lynch Mob or Montrose? He goes, nope, none of them. And he goes, well, he's played with three of those bands a lot of times or you're booking bands. And the guy says, well, have him send in a demo and a video. And so, <laughs> this guy, my friend calls me up and goes, okay, well, we have to do a demo in a video and put a package together you know, to get this thing running. That's what all bands are doing. And I'm like, Adele? I said, well, this guy doesn't know who I am. I said, uh, did you drop the fact that I was a Grammy nominee in 1988? Did I have anything to do? You know, like he wouldn't know what a Grammy was, probably. But he goes, you got to do a video. I said, well, why can't we just send all the MTV videos that I've done to this guy? And he's not going to know the difference anyway. You know? <laughs> and, and, I, and if I could have a demo, I go, I'm a writer and a, and a performer in the band of the songs we'll be doing. Why don't we just send them the original recordings, you know? And, <laughs> and I was freaking out, man. I was like... Are you kidding me? Really? You got to do all this? You know, I, I think I'm going to look into that. You know? He goes, no, you really got to do this. I said, oh, my God. So he had put me together with some musicians that are really good. Two of them live here in Phoenix. The singer, uh, Scott Hammond, and the bass player, Chris Cotero. They live here in Phoenix. And the guitar player is in San Diego, Jeff uh, Paremba. But the, the bass player knows all about everything in the world of the music business and what to do in the you know, he's And all these guys have two bands, three bands right now. You know, they're mm-hmm. all in. 
you know, it takes that many bands to survive. And so he goes, listen, don't worry about it, man. I have all the recording gear. Uh, you know, it's really easy on a computer today, and we have a place to do it, and blah, blah. And I said, oh, God, you know, really? He goes, well, we'll just do pieces, four pieces of your songs, you know, some songs, and, 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 and do a nice demo. So we did that, and it came out wonderful. <laughs> it was pretty easy. So then he, I, he, he goes, we've got to do a video. So in this big warehouse where they share it with a couple of bands, uh, they have lighting, um, uh, all the smoke and cameras and everything. And, 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 and we showed the video. I was like, oh, this is amazing. You know, these guys want to do this in, in such a short time and really effortlessly. And uh, so we had, we had that together. And as soon as then, then they go, what about your, uh, you know, do you have your Facebook page? I go, I don't do Facebook. And they're like, oh my God, this guy's a dinosaur. <laughs> so they opened up, they opened me up a Facebook page. And uh, then he discovered that I had a uh, a wildmcbrown.com uh, that I didn't. I mean, I, I I didn't own it. Someone the, the photographers for Ted Nugent, the friends of Ted's, they opened it years ago, uh, trying to coax me into getting involved in it. You know, and they just been for years. They just been putting pictures up of me and there, and that's all. So they go, we need to get a hold of this wildmcbrown.com and, and it's got the right format and change all that. Anyway, so that brings up the speed of my first horror of having this new band. You know, I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be a whole new world out here. Yeah? And uh, <laughs> But since then, we have done only one show so far, and now I'm taking it, uh, I've just delivered this package to a booking agent I can't speak about right now. And uh, hopefully this booking agent will take it and we can start on our way a little bit, you know? Yeah. But so far, <laughs> so far it's been an interesting ride for me. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you want to actually go out or do you just want to do weekend dates? Uh, it'll be weekend stuff. I mean, listen, I, uh, yeah, more, more likely weekend stuff. And, and I'll be lucky if we can, you know, keep that busy. But actually, you know what? A lot of bands uh, today, like, well, there's Bobby Blotzer in that rat band. Mm -hmm. uh, they're doing pretty well. Um, and uh, my friend, uh, the singer in the Bourbon Ballet, he's in one of the greatest Def Leppard tribute bands, and he plays quite often. And he says, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people want to come see bands do, you know, these older songs. And you know, the Bourbon Ballet just celebrates the the four bands that I've been in: Dokken, uh, Lynch Mob, Ted Nugent, Montrose. That's what our set list song is. Are you know? Yeah. So I get to play the best of all those and. It's just kind of a trip down memory lane for me and for everybody else. But <laughs> there you go. And so who knows where that'll, where that'll take off. I mean, I'd like to be able to, you know, fill in the dead spots that, that for that I'm not working with. This year, I've uh, finally uh, bowed out of the Ted Nugent thing. I've been doing that for 11 years and docking. So now um, I have a little more time, obviously. And uh, so I'd like to get this bourbon ballet thing going. Yeah. Now, picking the songs. um, did you actually want to go a little bit deeper into the catalogue or do you, are you just going to play the hits? Well, I feel, at first I just threw up some songs and I asked these other guys, have you ever heard of these bands? And they didn't really know the Ted Nugent stuff or the Montrose stuff that much, you know, because they're young <laughs> compared to me. You know? yeah. And so that, and then once they started getting in, uh, listening to some of the stuff, then they were like, oh, how about this? How about that? So I'm kind of playing it by ear with them and sort of, I, I want to play the, the some known songs, you know, mm -hmm. obviously you have to play cat scratch fever. If you've been in Ted Nugent, you're going to, uh, they want to work up stranglehold. I thought it's quite a handful, but okay, we can maybe get that going eventually. Um, I'm doing some, do you know, they, they're docking fans, these guys. So they, they have no problem playing, you know, stuff. And I think that's what, listen, I'd, I'd like them to play what they're comfortable playing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
So I, d- I just want. I mean, I like to play my favorites from my Montrose. We do Bad Motor Scooter and uh, uh, Space Station Number Five. I mean, but there's a, every Montrose song that I played with Ronnie Montrose. I could play any of those, and I love it. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's and it's, that's what's so fun about being in this band. You don't have to. At this point, we're not writing anything yet. I mean, and at some point, they want to do that. They're interested in writing original material. And I thought, okay, guys, you know, this is your world. I'm, I'm just sort of in it. I'll go with it with you. You know. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, come on, Mick. What do you do? You know, you're Rick Brown. We know how to. You know, there's no stopping. <laughs> it's funny how, how much they look up to me. You know, I yeah. get a big kick out of it. So, Mick, what about covers? Did you work up any covers? Well, it's all, isn't it? Uh, no, no, co- covers? I mean, no, no, covers that, uh, covers from other bands that you didn't play in. Oh, uh, no, no, no. We're keeping it right now just to the material of the bands I've been in. Okay. All right. Okay. I can't give it a little holy. You know, I could say, hey, it's okay for us to play this because I was in that band. But I, listen, I have no problem playing some other cover material too, but I don't know if I want to be that kind of a band, but hey, maybe that'll happen, you know. But I've, I've listened out of the four bands that we're doing, there's enough material there for me to you know, dig in and not have to really pull up something else, you know. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I just want to go back a little bit. Um, the first 10 years of your career, when you look at the yeah. producers you worked with, there's like Michael Wagner, Roy Thomas Baker, uh, Neil Kernan, Keith Olsen, Max Norman. Mm. Um, who was the toughest on you in the studio to work with? Um, let's see. I don't think any of them were tough, as a matter of fact. Uh, none, none of them. I mean, we seemed, we seemed to just sort of know what we wanted to do. In fact, we were kind of we're kind of shaken up by Tom Warman. Uh, when we started working with him, he didn't seem that interested or involved. You know, like he, he'd be, he'd come in, you know, we'd already be recording with Jeff, uh, oh God, what is his name? Oh, I can't remember the engineer's name. And he used to be, uh, Roy Thomas Baker's right hand guy. Oh God. Is it Jeff Glicks? Hey, so, uh, no, no. Um, <laughs> I can't believe I can't remember. His name. <laughs> he died anyway. But, um, Tom Warren would just sort of come in, you know, with his 
his uh, deli, uh, some kind of a elite deli sandwich that he, some deli he visits, put that in the freezer. He'd get on the phone and start making travel plans for him and his wife to go to Hawaii and stuff. And then we'd stop and we'd look over into the, you know, the booth and go, does that sound okay? And he'd, he'd look up like, what? <laughs> and then he'd, he'd reach over and push the talk back. Uh, yeah, that was good with me. It was good with you guys. We're like, oh, God, yeah, thanks for, thanks for the input here, buddy. You know? Yeah. So, uh, we, he didn't do much. Uh, and then uh, Michael, you know, he we we all kind of knew what we kind of wanted to do. He'd just say, here, we're setting up this way and blah, blah, play it right. You know? And Roy Thomas Baker, yeah, same thing there. He he came in. Actually, he came in and started mixing and, and making us sound like a, uh, a cross between uh, – Kind of a cross between the cars and a lover boy. <laughs> Somehow, I don't know how you get that. And so he looked back and said, This is what I want you guys to sound like. What do you think? And we hated it. So we went, Oh, that's really good. So that night, I remember Jeff and George told me, They go, Listen, tomorrow you got to tell Roy Thomas Baker that we don't want to sound that way. And we, and I, I go, yeah, wait, you, you want me to say it to Roy Thomas Baker? We don't <laughs> like your your creativity, your mix, you know, fix it or get out, you know? And they're like, yeah. So I said, oh, God, man. So the next day, I remember, and they go, come on, man, go ahead. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Jesus. I said, Roy, we, you know, we talked last night. He goes, I know. You don't like the way it sounds, right? And I go, well, yeah, we're not really crazy. He goes, that's okay. I, I figured you guys wouldn't be, you know, aren't there yet, you know, with your brain or where, where this is going to go. And, uh, he goes, so I'll do it. I'll step out and let Michael finish uh, doing what he wants with you. So he just bowed out and we did the record we wanted to do, how, how we wanted to sound, you know. Mm-hmm. Which to this day, I always wondered if we went the other way, what would have that been, you know? It was quite <laughs> interesting. So, yeah. You know, none of the guys, they were all real helpful. Uh, I, we particularly like the ones that. Um, uh, actually, I enjoyed working with Keith Olson in the Lynch Mob. Uh, he. Although he made a slick sounding record, which is, that's his trademark. Everybody calls him slick because uh, everything, it just kind of watered down some of the sounds. He he was the most musical of all the producers I worked with. him. he was uh, really ahead of his music curve. You know, he's, he was very good as a musician. And he knew, he knew how to, he knew exactly what the band was trying to do a second he gave him the idea. You know, and a lot of times I would just sing a melody to him and stuff, and he'd go, perfect, I know, I know exactly who's, you know, what to do. And uh, it was amazing how, how much he kept the band in control and got the work done. I enjoyed doing that, you know. I mean, he seemed the most professional and the best fit for us. Although uh, Max Norman, uh, his, his Wicked Sensation album was incredible. I thought that was really good. Yeah. But a lot of these guys were like us when we were just partying and having a lot of fun. I thought, God, who's in control here? You know, I mean, <laughs> and we just sort of seem to get the work done, so don't like complain, you know. Yeah, I want I want to ask. Um, we're we're doing a yeah. we're doing a project on a uh, little mountain sound in Vancouver. Um, and at that time, th- th- like that was D studio for the big drum sound. It, did you ever push the band to maybe try and go up there with Bruce Fairburn or Bob Rock? Uh, at one point, our management, uh, Cliff Bernstein and Peter Mesh, they were Q Prime, who ended up uh, handling Def Leppard and uh, Metallica and Doc. And, um, they, it was going to be our, I think it was just about our fourth, our fourth LP, and they said, listen, we want you to have a meeting with Bob Rock. And, you know, they, they had just done this 
uh, something with Bob Rock and I forget who, but uh, maybe it was Leopard. <laughs> and so we met with, and we didn't really think that was, I mean, that wasn't turning us on that. It was, we wanted a little more raw sound. And, you know, these guys, it, that's when things in the age started getting real refined, you know, mm-hmm. all these drum sounds and how perfect it was. It was, you know, the songs were good, but none of the fire was in the albums anymore. And, um, so we did have a meeting with Bob Rock and his his engineer, and you know they were going to make a million dollar deal with him. You know that's that's what it costs to earn, earn, you know earn these guys to to get uh, you know to produce their record. And uh, we said no, you know, and our management was like, "What? I put you together a meeting with these guys? And you said no." <laughs> you know? We said, "Well, we just don't really feel." And I forget we ended up using somebody and had trouble there anyway. So we, you know, knocking was a very strange band. We made horrible decisions if you gave us the opportunity and if you didn't give us the opportunity we'd take the management decisions and mess that up anyway and in spite <laughs> of ourselves we still kept you know struggling forward and our manager used to just get so upset with us and uh eventually he said to hell with you guys because you're a mess you know <laughs> but uh so no we never did any recording in vancouver and uh, i would have loved to have you know stepped into these because at my drum sound i always felt suffered uh, something always seemed to happen. I had this purse going on. Uh, they'd lose when we'd go to the mix or something. Uh, they'd lose something that two of the microphones in the room that were given the drums that good sound can't get retrieved somehow. You know, and we don't have that. And I'm like, oh, oh great. So everything's going to sound good except me. Right? You know? <laughs> and and this, this went on and on through record after record. I was like, why is it always me? You know? <laughs> I mean, one time in a doctor record, I had done probably my best playing and I was the most proud of the stuff I had done. And then the technology changed and we had taken some time off for some reason. And by the time we went back in the studio, the stuff that I had recorded this, all this information to, wasn't pliable to, you know, the new technology. And so that got lost. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is happening. I had to re-record it, and the conditions were really bad, and it just—it's uh, been a nightmare to me. It's amazing that I got any drum sounds at all. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, so Mick, I want to ask—I want to ask you. Um, you were involved in the the hearing aid, the stars, uh, the song. What are your memories of doing that? Uh, you know, I was real excited because we were a brand new band. You know, we were, and we, you know, we we're so excited to be invited into this. You know, there you are standing there with all these other, some, uh, all the new bands who were kind of hip at the moment. You know, there was Quiet Riot was there. Uh, Doc, and I can't remember, uh, there was Judas Priest singer, you know. Uh, Ted Nugent was there. Uh, Carmine, you know, the Dio guys. Mm -hmm. And just to be standing there amongst that, being, it seemed like, wow, you know, here, we made a step. We're, you know, included in this club, you know. And, uh, it was really funny uh, to be part of that. And I remember Jeff and I showed up in my car, and then Don, he, he came down at a different time. And George was there, and the guys from Spinal Tap, I remember they were there. <laughs> and uh, it was quite fun to do. I was real excited about it. I, I mean, it was, it was pretty interesting for me. Yeah. You know, you can imagine being in the middle of your 20s and being on MTV. That was, I mean, and I have to, I have to, I'm dropping my eyes on my cocktail <laughs> I have to, uh, uh, commend MTV for, you know, make, making our career literally overnight. We became famous. And I remember our manager said, that's going to happen. He goes, tomorrow morning, you start on MTV on your first video, which was Breaking the Change was our first single. And he said, it's going to be on every 42 minutes for a long time. And he goes, you watch what happens. And it literally overnight, 
I mean, just changed. Immediately, you were famous, you know? It was like, yeah. wow. It's a child track off our LP. It's called... What is it? What is it? Breaking the chains. Yeah, I, th- I think that's what David Coverdale said when when all the videos for the '87 album came out. It saved him five years of hard touring. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, yeah, it really would. You know, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I wanna, I do wanna ask you about, like, it's it's no secret, like that there was a lot of infighting in Dokken in the '80s. How did you personally deal with the conflict? Uh, you know, I, well, uh, yeah, it was always, you know, it always came down to Jeff and George. You know, I mean, Jeff and George, John and George, John and George, excuse me. Yeah. I mean, that's where the real trouble would be. And, uh, you know, Jeff and I had a solution for either side argument. You know, it's like, well, if you want to do it this way, this is what we're going to take two. But you couldn't get John or George, even either one to budge. So Jeff and I would just sit there and go, I don't know. I mean, how do you deal with, how do you deal with a donkey that's, that's, that's death? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, you just, we just stood there and watched it destroy, you know? Yeah. I mean, it just, it was amazing. Uh, it was frustrating, but somehow it seemed to always work its way out. I mean, we went forward anyway, and the decision never got solved. And I thought, well, how did that get by? And it was always confusing to Jeff and I. And we just said, the hell, let's just keep going, you know? Yeah. And, now, um, now, the, now, the second, when you, got, when you got back in the band, 
in the nineties, and you did like oh, yeah. the, you did dysfunctional, and you did Shadow Life. Um, did you try and? Some of those, I'm sorry. Some, let me just jump in real quick. Some of those records, everything after the eighties. I was, I was proud of the eighties stuff that we did, and that did well. In fact, I'm looking up my wall now, and it's covered in gold and platinum. You know, mm. from those records, and nothing from that point on after those MTV days. You know, and, but um, it, those were some of my favorite recordings. Were uh, the, the, all the albums we did in the nineties. I think that's the truest docking that there really is. You know, dysfunctional was a great, uh, docking record. Yeah. Uh, with a perfect title. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I also like shadow life very much. I thought that was some of George Lynch's best playing ever. Um, and, uh, I really enjoyed those grand, you know, I mean, th- uh, those songs from the band at, at the, that era, we were really, really making headway and no one, and we, that's when Don uh, Dawkins owned the recording studio and we were doing a lot of it there and no one, and we were just on, you know, no one could tell us no. So we just went with it, you know, and it was neat. You know? yeah, I yeah. enjoyed that. Yeah. I want to, I want to ask you, sorry, I, yeah. right, Mick. I want to ask you a question about the Wicked Sensation album. Um, you went on tour in Europe um, with Queensryche and of course I'm Irish, right? So, I had tickets to see the first show in Dublin and ye didn't support. Now, I've often wondered why. And I met Anthony Esposito a few years ago and he's, I know you can confirm this or deny it. He said that the reason he didn't do the Irish show is uh, that your bus on the ACDC tour when you were with Dokken got vandalized in Belfast. Is that true? Um, yes. It, um, but, you know, wait a sec now. Hang on. Why? We did not open for Queen Frank in Dublin? No. Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, well, but one time in Dublin, I remember the two, we were on, no, it was with Accept, I think. Okay. Uh, we were on opening for Accept, and somebody came through and petrol bombed one of the uh, tour buses while, you know, in the middle of the night. Uh, the police came down, started shooting the rubber bullets at the windows. That didn't work, so they actually shot the windows out, trying, because they, they knew the driver was in there and they had to get in the bus. Yeah. They got the driver out, you know, those little compartments that she's in. He made it okay. But I remember seeing the bus the next morning, it was just burned down to the wheels. <laughs> and I was really nervous about being there, you know, because uh, I remember going to the hotel. You had to go through um, a metal detector. There was lots of sandbags and bob wire around. And I got inside, and there was uh, there was a big uh, snooker table. And I thought, I'm going to go on the bar and, and try and relax, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I did, and I met some local, you know, the local metal heads that were hanging around. And they were really, it was really nice to meet him. And they said, well, what's the matter, Mick? I said, well, I'm a little nervous about being here. Is this it, safe? And they go, oh, you know, you're going to be fine, Mick. Yeah, it's no problem, you know. And they said, now, you know, and I, and they said, why would you be nervous? Said, well, first off, you know, the bus, part, you know, the bus, the, 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 the hotel, the way you have to get in here. They go, no, nah, no, this isn't scary. Going to New York, <laughs> that'd be frightening, you know. And I thought, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> but I, I don't remember why we wouldn't play with Queens right there. Maybe we hadn't uh, booked that show. I mean, maybe we, it was at the end or the beginning. I don't know. Maybe no, it was, the ver- it was the very first show of the world tour. And it was the first time they did Operation Minecrime in its entirety. And I, I, of course, this is pre-internet. Oh, I think uh, we just picked up the tour later. Maybe they had a different opener or something. I don't know. Yeah, there was, some, I, there was some local band came out and we all looked at each other and went, oh, for fuck's sake. You know, oh, like we were expe- they were expecting to see us? We, we were hoping to see you guys. Like, this is pre-internet. So we only had Kerrang! And, huh. you know, they didn't norm- they only put normally the English tour dates on it. And your name wasn't on the ticket. And what we knew you were on the tour. Well, that's probably... That, that's... No, that's exactly. Oh, I understand now. Yeah, well, we just weren't booked to play with them. They hadn't brought us in on it yet. Okay. You know, uh, it is true though that your bus got firebombed. That that's that's a good one. <laughs> so yeah, that was a, yeah, that was an unusual event, right? Yeah, yeah. 
So I, I want to ask you a quick question about the, the self-titled Lynch Mob record. Um, were you there when Keith Olsen brought Glenn Hughes in to help Robert Mason do the Absolutely. vocals? That must Absolutely. Have um, you know, the reason the reason being for this, um, well, I, my input was really heavy on the uh, Lynch Mob stuff in the, in the vocal department. I have a lot of the, almost, oh God, I can't say all of them, but so many of the choruses were, came from my head, you know? And what I would do is I would sing them to Keith you know, as we were coming up with this stuff and he, cause he actually got in early enough in the writing process. You know, he liked the music. He said, well, what's the book? But I said, I said, here's this course I got. So I'd sing it to him. He goes, you like going, you, you're kind of like David Coverdale. I mean, that's, that's, this is what that, something that sounds like they would sing. I said, yeah, that's, that's just seemed to pop into my head. And that's, he goes, well, you know what? Uh, Robert Mason was, uh, had never really, I don't think had done any recordings yet. And he goes, I just want to cover my butt with this guy. And let, would you mind if I bring Glenn Hughes in and you sing this to him? And then Glenn will sing it on a, on a dem, I mean, on a dead track. And then Robert can listen to it and, and get a style of like, oh, I understand. And that's exactly what we did, you know? And I think it was a good, you know, I mean, it's definitely, uh, could you imagine having a coach like, no, like <laughs> on your first record? So I'm sure Glenn, uh, Robert felt pretty comfortable, like, wow, I'm glad I got all this, you know, because there's no, there was no question of, what to do. And then we'd have Robert sing it six different times. And then uh, myself, the engineer, and, um, oh God, who, who's the producer? Senior moment here. Keith Olson. We'd all sit down and comp the best lines. And uh, that's how we did it. And then a couple spots with the background vocals, it's Glenn and I and um, Robert and stuff. You know, so it was, it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Who, whose idea was it to do Tire Mother Down on that? I think it was my idea. Um, yeah, I think we, you know, we, I said, listen, we need to do a cover song. You know, this is, we got to get something going here. And, uh, and that song had been going around and we played it at rehearsal or something. Let's just do that. You know? And I think we just jumped in and went that way with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you, Mick, about um, just a couple of questions about Erase the Slate. Uh, was Reb the only guitarist that you auditioned? Uh, yeah, from what I can remember. I mean, we had done, I don't know if that, at that point, John Norm was, had done a record with us or not. I don't think so. No, he did the next and, one. And uh, I'll tell you, when, when Reb came in, it was amazing. This guy, here's where, here's where all the good stuff comes. I remember we owned, uh, Don owned that recording studio. So Jeff goes, let's just, you, me, and Reb, uh, Reb go in there and and go. And he goes, I, I know a little bit about Reb. He goes, he's going to have a lot of ideas. I said, great. So we went in there, just turned the tape machine on, and we played, and I swear to God, in in an hour's time, we probably played 16 different things. 13 of them probably turned into songs wow. that ended up on the record, you know, <laughs> or that we recorded. And I mean, I went, God, this guy's just musically. And it was wonderful having someone so focused, you know, because, you know, obviously the tension had gotten so weird with George. Uh, you know, it, it was, a, you know, it was tricky. Uh, well, even, I can't say that, you know, it, when we play with Jordan, we still get a lot of material going there. It, it, that always seemed to work. But man, from Reb, you know, and if there was a part where like when we started putting these songs together, taking the pieces and putting them together, he, you know, well, here we are here. And, and he'd know six different things, you know, in a minute, he could come up with a bunch of different, you know, solutions or uh, offers, you know. And I eventually said, well, how do you, how is it that this stuff just comes out of your head so fast? He goes, well, I, I used to do commercial jingles, or I still do, with my brother, who's 
who does this, you know, um, Rev, I need you to play on this, uh, some commercial. And he goes, and what you do is you come in and you give me your idea and you record it. And then, and then they'll go, they'll step in and push the button and go, yell at you and go, that's not exactly the uh, direction we want to go. You got two more minutes to come up with something else. He goes, so right there, you got a minute and a half or two minutes to come up with a completely different idea. <laughs> and he goes, then they'll play that and they'll either go, yeah, that's good. Or no, we're going to, you got two more minutes, you know, and, he, and the pressure's on. And so he, he would just come up with stuff so quickly and easily. And he knows his instrument so well. Yeah. You know? And so it was no problem. Uh, and, and, you know, Jeff and I, we could keep up. I mean, literally, you know, we knew exactly, wow, that's good. That's good. You know, together and then Rep would just go with, wow, you, okay, you guys like that? Well, here, let's go. We'll, let's finish this, you know? And it was amazing having uh, working with that guy. him to, you know, I was all set for him to stay in the band, and in the live performances, too, he was just wonderful, mm-hmm. and uh, he just, you know, he just really, um, he had a problem with Don, you know, I mean, he just thought that uh, Don used to bring him down at the completely different ends of uh, energy spectrum, you know what I mean, <laughs> and uh, it was too bad, I really enjoyed playing with him, because yeah. I think Erased Slate was a wonderful record outside of any other guitar player that we played with, and it was uh, a really neat thing, and then we, again, we did... Uh, we covered the Three Dog Night band, uh, Three Dog Nights uh, 1, which was this huge hit by Three Dog Night in the 60s when that came out. And I remember we played it with uh, the singer. Um, again, lost the name. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> one of the singers came, and we played with him at Soundcheck, and he goes, I'm because he was playing that night right before us on the, at this big fairgrounds. And he says, I'll tell you what, I won't play it with my band. I'll come out and play it with you guys. I thought, oh, God, what an honor to have this guy taking his hit song, coming out and playing it with our version, you know, which was obviously uh, quite peppier than the, the Three Dog Neighbors. And so uh, during the soundcheck, you know, he goes, so you guys, you know, he's looking at the, uh, we have a CD, and he's looking at it, and he goes, so you covered this. Well, what? He goes, what's it doing? And I remember we had to look at him and go, the record company says they don't hear a single. 
And he just looked at us like, what? And I go, can you believe that? I mean, it was his huge song, what, a huge hit song. Why couldn't it still be a huge hit song? And he just didn't get it, you know? Yeah. It wasn't like we tore the song up. There. And he just looked at it and scratched his head like, where is the world today? And we all said the same thing. Anyway, we went, along, we went along and played the show with him. It was just amazing. I, I, I thought, what a moment, you know? Yeah. I could be part of that because I was really young when that came out. And uh, I thought, now the guy's singing, you know? It's amazing. I was beside myself. Yeah, no, no. I, think- I was very upset that that wasn't a, a big hit for the, uh, you know, for Dawkins because I thought it was going to be. You know? Yeah. And in fact, a lot of the songs we did, we did maybe ten, ten songs that uh, we had a great version of from the beginning, uh, ELP, and all, you know, a lot of things. It's like something's going to, somebody's going to crack on one of these and get it. You know, understand? Wow, they got this new hit song, like you know, the Van Halen version of uh, Pretty Woman, or You Really Got Me, or something. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, nothing, nothing. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Now, now, at the end of that tour, was it a surprise to you that when Jeff left the band? Um, I mean, I'm trying to remember what happened then. Um, he did Rockstar, didn't he? The movie. Uh, yeah, but we were still we were recording at that time too. I remember he would do the he'd come in and tell me the daily whatever was going on in the thing, and then there'd be a a, a nine day break or something. He'd come down and record with us, and uh, I don't remember him actually like, quitting or anything. I just. Uh, I'm trying to remember here because he brought John he brought John Levin into the mix too mm-hmm. uh, when he did a guitar player and uh, he's the one that kind of brought John into the docking thing who ended up being a docking now for 17 years or something like that yeah so I don't know I you know I don't really remember Jeff that's funny I just don't remember that there was a moment where he's like I'm leaving I think the band had just stopped or something for a minute and then he, he went to Foreigner and then I think when we sort of got the band roll oh maybe I I think that's when John said oh, I could do this. And and then we needed a bass player, so yeah. So so who got who got Barry Sparks into the band for Long Way Home? Uh, that was John Norm. Okay. Uh, we were playing. Uh, right, we wanted to do a new rec, uh, do another LP, and John got involved, and we were like, well, we weren't uh, nervous about the recording process. Who was going to be in? It was in the touring end, and he goes, well, listen, even for the recording, I've, I've done something with this guy named Barry Sparks. Bring him in. Well, sure, bring Barry in, and Barry was a good fit. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed playing with Barry too. That was a good time. Yeah, his energy level was good. I mean, was, you know, I was all about. I wanted the right personalities. For me, everyone seemed like they could play. I, I needed the right person to be with. I was tired of so many years of the arguing and fighting and the, you know, just the lousy attitudes. I wanted someone who's going to have fun. You know, Barry, he was like, "Wow, man, I can't believe I'm here." He was excited to be there. You know, like, "Oh, Mick, I did, this is so fun." You know, we're we're drinking with Mick Brown and playing drums and we're playing songs. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I thought, "Well, that's how I feel about you, Barry. Let's go." You know, <laughs> so we did a lot of years with him too, and, and then he ended up having a problem with Don too. So uh, a lot of times, you know. <laughs> that was over, and I thought, "Oh God damn, Don, we're gonna run out of guys here if this keeps up." You know? <laughs> yeah, I got another question, Mick, about the Long Way Home record. Um, I heard a story that the uh, the disc that had the masters on it got damaged uh, by FedEx, and Don had to use some solo stuff to finish the record. Is that true? You know, it very well could be. I don't remember the story, and I remember it was very confusing at the time. Um, Don was uh, going through uh, his a very bad dark period where. Uh, he was taking prescription drugs quite, I mean, in extreme amounts and topping that off with Jack Daniels and, you know, it just uh, the confusion went and he went, you know, it seemed like he was in control because it was his recording studio and stuff. And 
it was like the blind leading the blind. There'd be two good hours of when all the drugs would kick in and be real creative. And then the next four hours were all destroying everything. <laughs> you know, it became a tick, you know, yeah. of uh, bad habits and stuff. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Don, I, I think that sounds like a lie, but I wouldn't be surprised if Don destroyed it or lost it or left it in his car and it got burned up or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then it's a, cause he's been known to make mistakes like that. And uh, that could have very well been, but, you know, uh, it, uh, here we go again. In spite of all the problems, we just seem to go forward somehow. Yeah. But I really wish, you know, it was getting old to be, there's always something happening. Something's always as hard as it could be, always wrong, you know. And I, I was really getting tired of that. I was like, man, this is this band is difficult, you know. Yeah. Now, the, al- the albums you've done since, like, you've done three albums with John Levin. Um, I think my favorite one is the Lightning Strikes Again record. I think it's it's like old school you know, docking. And listen, and I'm, I'm really upset about I mean, uh, these th- these three albums that we did with John, I really wasn't involved in. I was playing with Ted Nugent, and mm-hmm. for some reason, I said, "Don, I'm only doing summers with Ted." I mean, I can I got nine months where I can record, and he just it's you know I don't, either out of spite or something, you know, maybe it was a punishment, his way of punishing me for playing with Ted Nugent, which he kind of forced me to, into doing anyway because we weren't working at all. I needed something. Yeah. So I. I would come back and they, they had, you know, had done drums with someone else and he thought, but Don goes, also, I need your voice on there. You know, got to sing. And so I'd come in and do some singing and he'd usually save a couple tracks for me. And I come in and play on those. And I thought, well, God, I'm, this is really being disconnected from this. You know? Yeah. So I thought, well, you know, I got to make a living and this is where today's world is. And if this guy wants to play games, you know, whatever, I, I you know, that's personally, I didn't feel very good about it. And, I, and the only album I didn't never didn't appear at all on was the last one, Broken Bones. Mm-hmm. I didn't, there, not one note did I do of anything on there. And uh, I remember I came back and Don says, listen, uh, and I said, Don, uh, Ted, uh, or Don called me and said, listen, I want you to get involved in this record. Let's finish writing it. I said, okay, great. And then Ted called me and said, Nick, I want you to, I'm doing a new record. I want you to play on it. I said, and I had to tell Ted, I said, I just committed to Don. And I said, listen, I, I can't do your record. He goes, no problem, because, you know, Ted can snap his fingers and there's another guy. So uh, he had got, uh, Ted decided to take Tommy Clefettos, who was in the band prior to my drumming it with Ted. Mm-hmm. So I got Tommy and Barry, and Ted did his record in about 10 days. I'm over there working with Don, trying to get this docker record going for a month and a half. We're still dealing with, you know, the pills and everything. We... I, so we got some, some work done. I said, okay, call me when that's ready. I got to go back on tour with, with Ted. So I go on tour with Ted. I'm back in the band. Everything's good. You know, we're out there. But, and then Don gets Tommy Cofettos to play drums on the new doctor record. So I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I thought I could strangle a son of a bitch, you know? I think, oh, great. You know, first off, I missed off on Ted's record, which would have paid really nice. Yeah. And they got this guy to play on it. And I, you know, I said, listen, you're balancing my, my, my stableness in the gig here. I hope Ted wants me back, you know? And then I didn't get used to play on the doctor record. He used the guy that Ted, this guy, Tommy's cleaning up on all the work I could be doing you know yeah. i just couldn't believe it i was really upset with that yeah, i think he's out playing he's, you know? he's out playing with sabbath now i think tommy clefettos oh, and how wonderful what a wonderful job listen that dvd that they came out with when they got all go back together i just love it and tommy's drumming it is phenomenal yeah. the, the sound quality is amazing and his playing i mean one of the best drum solos i've seen in years you know real, the real rock and roll drum solo you know no frills no just him playing and yeah. man he is great i was a amazed and, and he fit in that band so damn well 
I just, I was in heaven. I thought, oh God, because the ba- first off, the band's just always amazing anyway. You know what I mean? They, they, their sound and their songs and the way Geezer and, and Tommy play together. Oh my God, Tony. I mean, uh, it's just amazing. <laughs> and then, you you know, you put that great drummer in there too. You know, and listen, over the years, they've had great, you know, Vinny Appleseed, everybody's played with them. You know, I mean, but for some reason, that was really spectacular to me. I, I've given my hats off to him for that one, Ben. Wow. Yeah, now, now, of course, Mick, you played for a long time with Ted Nugent, and a lot of people have their opinions about Ted. He's a very polarizing figure, but you would have spent a lot of time with him. Can you tell me something that maybe surprised you about him when you met him? Well, I, you know what surprised me when I met him? He he was pretty much like he comes off, uh, what what you think he might be. He was that intense. Mm. And I, I, and then I thought, wow, he's much taller and much more intense than I really expected. <laughs> and I thought... Uh, but it was a really healthy experience for me to play with him. Uh, he, he, I'd never worked for anybody else. So all of a sudden here, I have to make, here I have to please somebody as a boss. And I remember he yelled at one time I didn't play something right. And he was tired of me playing it wrong. And I was just getting away with it. And I thought, okay, everything's fine. And he stopped and yelled at me like, like your dad yelled at you for the worst thing you ever did when you were a little boy. <laughs> and <laughs> I was so scared. I thought, I'll never do that again. And he, it did. It fixed from, from that moment on. I realized you have to do what he says, when he says it, how he says it. And he knows what he wants. And and when you do, he's as happy as a pig in shit. <laughs> I'm telling yeah. you. He, it was, and he goes, Mick, I don't take second place. You're, you, you you know, you're in a band that I've had, had the greatest drummers in the world and you, I know you have it in you and I know I, I want you to have it. I enjoy you. Your energy is fantastic. Let's go. All, you know, I, I'm not going to, you know, basically you just said, listen, you got to be as great as you can be to be my band. And I, and when I finally hit that level, which was right away, cause he's not going to let you do, <laughs> make good or wrong very long. <laughs> uh, I felt really good. And he, and boy, it really brought my, uh, my feelings about my music, how you play it, how you do it, and and you know, I felt real good about being it because I and, and then like you said, I did I did almost eleven, I think I did eleven years with him, and at the seventh year, I remember we were in the dressing room and his son and and Ted uh, looked over at me kind of funny in the dressing room, and I went what? And they go, what we're just discussing? You've been in the band seven years now, and Ted's never kept a, the longest member he's ever kept uh, was a drummer that was maybe three years. And I was like, wow, well, maybe we should up that price a little bit. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that didn't happen, but I ended up spending another four years with him since then. And, uh, you know, this year I, uh, I was going to step out, but then I got an email. He, was, he seemed like he was going to change the members up anyway. So I felt really good about playing with him. It was a great experience. You never knew who was going to walk through the uh, through the uh, dressing room door. Anyone from all the rock stars to governors who all wanted to play Cat Scratch Fever on the drums with him. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just so – but listen uh, – Here's something that people probably don't know about Ted. He is so, he is very very smart. Uh, he likes to be he likes to shake it up. I mean, obviously that's why he's so extreme when he talks about his politics and stuff. But he, he just cracks up. He goes, "Mick, I get in so much trouble with this political stuff." He goes, "It's like the world is baited on my every word." He goes, "I'm a guitar player in a rock band, and they think I'm real serious, you know." And he gets the kick out of himself, you know. But yeah. He's very generous too. I remember uh, at one point when Katrina happened, I think he sent 400 army cots and bought 400 sleeping bags and just sent them down there, you know, just to help. I mean, yeah. he's that kind of a guy. Yeah. I mean, he really does back up everything he says. And to me, I've never seen a person with more energy, um, more positive 
you know, I mean, there's just no arguing with the guy when you're with him. To me, it just seems like, well, what's he always used to go? What's Plan B? Not be good, you know? <laughs> <laughs> there's only plan. There's only Plan A, and that's to be the absolute best plan in the world and just crush everybody's skull, you know? Or Plan What's Plan B? Not not do that. <laughs> Never mind Plan C, you know? And we it just cracks me up his his method of madness, and it's amazing. It was a fantastic journey. Yeah, you know, well, what it was is, just what, fantastic. One of the things I will say, Mick, we, when we had Rev on the show, um, he said that he thought you were a really good drummer when you when you were in Dokken. But then he did say that when he saw you re- a couple of years ago with Ted Nugent, he, he said he, he, he thought you were a much better drummer after playing with Ted. Who said this? Rev Beach. Oh, yes. Well, see, you know, the, uh, well... Okay, I'm glad. You know, I thought I made some really good, did some really good playing with Reb. Uh, I think Reb maybe, uh, maybe Reb needs to sit back and look at that record. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's quite a compliment. No, it's true. I mean, it was, it was. You know, what Reb was impressed with. Wow, Mick is playing outside of his comfort zone, which was docking for all those years and learned how to come. Because you know, all the musicians around in that today's world, they're all playing with everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he was nice to see that. Wow, Mick stepped stepped up, took a chance, and did something outside of that rotting flesh that was docking at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think he was more happy probably seeing me do that, uh, you know, and, and, and doing it well, because, uh, you know, he appreciated that. But, I, you know, I think that's what it was about, yeah. Yeah. No, I feel good about that, too, because he told me that, too. Yeah, I just got a couple of questions to finish off with, Mick. Um, mm-hmm. The 2010, you did a, a Greatest Hits album, you re-recorded all the early stuff, but one of the tracks you did on it that was a new song was Almost Over, and that was a brilliant song. I've often wondered why that wasn't on any of the albums. Almost over. 
You know, I don't, I can't, from the life of me, I have no idea what that song is. <laughs> okay. I, I just thought I'd ask you I don't have a clue what it is. You know, some of the later records, I don't, li- I, I don't listen to a lot of our stuff anyway. I mean, I know that sounds weird, like, you, God, you played it on the thing, but a lot of times we just record them, play them uh, once for the recording, and that's that. You know, yeah. and that's probably one of those songs that I don't know the song. Okay. Now, now you got me wondering, I'm going to go over to my little cubby hole over here and pull out all the things and pull the dust off and find almost yeah, over. There's, yeah, there's two, there's two studio tracks at the end of it. I've often wondered, uh, you know, why they didn't make it on any of the studio albums. Um, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, the Dokken reunion, if it doesn't happen, how disappointed would you be? Um, well, I'm going to be honest with you. I, um, it's it's probably going to anyway. And I, I'm almost seeing like I'm disappointed because we're doing it. I don't know. Uh, I'm just wondering, you know, what everybody's thing is. Uh, and nothing's changed, you know. I mean, I know George and Don are they're, during the, the conversations to get this going. They're already starting up, you know. Mm. And I, I don't really – I feel like – and Jeff, Jeff and I are like, I don't know. I mean, I, I know Jeff's – you know, Jeff seems excited about it. I – I would like to see it happen with nothing, you know, uh, there's not much time. So I know we just got to get in and do it and go, you know, just back in the foreigner because they barely give him any time off. He's only got a 10, 12 day window, I guess, to do this. So there won't be any time for much bickering, but uh, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little standoffish about it. Listen, I, 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 you know, maybe I'll get a good feeling from it when it happens. I hope to. Yeah. But if it, you know, listen, I hate to say it. I'd love to do it for all the artistic reasons. And I'd really like to be real excited, like ah, the, all the bands back together. But I don't feel that way. And I got to be honest with you. I, I just don't. I, I just, it's a money thing. And, and the money's too good. I'll be the most disappointed I'd be is not making that money. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but uh, listen, I, I'm tired of the bad attitude stuff. And you put Don and George together and it just starts happening again. And it gets really confusing. And I don't like, I, I, I think it's very sad. You know, yeah. and then act that way. Yeah. And I'm tired of being around it, but here we go. And listen, for that kind of money, I'll shut up and do what we used to do. Jeff and I'll stand there and go, this is the same way we did before. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's only, right now it seems like it's only going to be about six shows. I think, well, we can't believe we blink and this will be over, you know. But yeah. uh, you know, what's probably going to happen is we'll probably end up doing it. It'll, it'll come off really well, really successful, and then they're going to talk about doing it again. I'll be like, oh man, here we go all over again. Yeah. You know? yeah so, 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 Mick, um, just two, two, two quick questions to finish off with. Do you have a favorite album you've played on? Um, yeah, I think there's a couple of them actually. Uh, Eraser Slate was one of them. Yeah. Uh, I just enjoyed that moment. Um, I enjoyed the Wicked Sensation album immensely. Uh, actually, both both those, but the Wicked Sensation really had the, the better was the better of the two first Lynch Mob records that I did. And I enjoyed playing on uh, playing on Shadow Life, okay. uh, which was the last uh, last uh, album that uh, Doc and the original Doc members did together. Those yeah. three are my I'm most proud of. Yeah, yeah. What, what I mean, we... all, listen, I always go in, you know, with the best of attitude and try my best, you know. And uh, I was feeling good about everything, but. Uh, those those albums as a whole uh, seem real good, and I, you know, I, I to me, it's not about the drums. Uh, it's never really been. I mean, I am the drummer, but I enjoy. I'm a song guy. I, I'm because I write as well, and so I really enjoy the, the song as a whole. You know, yeah. again, I mean, a lot of a lot of Dawkins. There's a lot of Dawkins songs that just have a slight bit of percussion, no drums, and I love the, the performance of the vocals of the three others, Jeff, Don, and I. You mm-hmm. know, on. Um, uh, Convenience Store Messiah. That's a great, a very haunting thing. And there's no, no, nothing left to say where Jeff and I um, 
do this beautiful uh, vocal thing, and, and those things I'm the most proud of. You know, not, and everyone's always like, the drums, drums, drums. They're not, hell, you know, drums, share. Sure, anyone can play a drum, you know? Yeah. I mean, let's see, I like a song, you know? I mean, I love the song, you know, I'm a song guy. I hope you listen. And, you know, by the way, before we uh, finish up here today, I, I, all your listeners, I, I want to totally, um, I've been as honest as I could possibly be. I don't have nothing to hide. <laughs> and uh, I love all the fans for all the years' support. And if there's any interest, like someone like yourself would take the time out and spend this much time with me speaking on the phone today. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, Mick, I appreciate that. What about, what about a live show? Do you have a, a, a favorite live show that you did? Uh, God, no. There's been so many great moments, you know. Yeah. Um, no, I can't. I, I couldn't put your finger on the best the best one, you know. I mean, there's, yeah, I'd have stuff on. No, I, I enjoyed so many of them. I, I try and enjoy every single one of them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> So, so just to finish on, make the social media oh, and stuff. Well, I do have one moment in a live show. Yeah, that, sure. I could, now that now it popped in, that was kind of it was very magic that I remember sticking out. Uh, it was the Iowa Jam. Here's the lineup. It was uh, um, Metallica opened, uh, Dokken, then uh, Aerosmith, then Ted Nugent, and uh, oh, there was a band called Armored Saint that played before. Metallica. Anyway, I remember we're playing. We took the stage, this big racetrack, lots of people. I mean, big. And the guys in Metallica, Cliff was still alive, the bass player. And they're mm -hmm. all standing on the side. And they're really getting into it because we were really on fire back then, you know. And we we're giving it everything we got. Now, in the middle of this performance, somebody is up on, looks like a platform out in the audience for some reason. I don't know why this platform is. It looked like it might have been a spotlight stand or something. And they threw this frisbee. And this it seems like the whole crowd saw this Frisbee taking this big curve and making its way to stage. And Don reaches up and grabs it. And I'm like, oh, my God. And the place went crazy. So that was, like, great. And Don, you know, acknowledged the person out of the audience. And then he <laughs> sang a couple lines and threw it. And it went back to the same person. <laughs> <laughs> and the crowd was like, and that guy was standing up on the, this platform in the audience holding it up. And, and they were playing the song, but it's nothing to do with this, you know, it was all about this frisbee moment, and the yeah. place was just like, "How? What are the odds of that?" You know, him him throwing it, and the singer, you know, making it to the singer, him getting it, and then him throwing it back and curving out, and then no one knew where it's going, and it makes it to the same guy. Wow, that <laughs> was, was a neat moment. I just remember it was really spectacular. And, but, but you know, the, the best part about it was everyone was in the moment at the same time. The, all the audience, all the bands, it was all about that frisbee. <laughs> Yeah, so, it was a fun moment. Wow! And um, do you have any? Uh, you, you obviously got the Facebook page and the websites, and you on Twitter. I do have a Facebook page, Wild Nick Brown. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've I've never been on it, but my friends tell me it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is pretty good actually. I've been on it. I don't know. I mean, listen, it's all about uh, it's, uh, these guys trying to help me with this bourbon belly, and haven't you know what? I'm glad I said yes because. I'm learning. I'm learning some things, you know, where musicians' heads are today and stuff. And you know, they, they were, they're learning some things from me too. They're like, wow, yeah. you know, the things this guy's been through in a different le in a different scale, different level, and it's 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 interesting. So yeah, well, I'm just hoping to have fun with the whole thing. Yeah. Well, one one of the things I would say, Mick, just to, I'm just going to finish up here is when I think when everyone starts in a band, they have the, they love playing and they have all this innocence about the music business, and you've gone through the whole thing. And yet you've come out and you still want to just go out with a new band and play. It's like you've gone full circle. Would would I be right there? It, it, yes, you absolutely would be, you know. Um, and 
that's the, you know, that's the fun of it too. I mean, that, that's why this Brooklyn Ballet is a breath of fresh air to me because it's got all new guys that are younger. I get all that good energy and I'm thinking I'm playing all my favorite songs from for the band. You know, it's, to, it's a fun to me to go, wow, I've done all this in my career and play with these people and wrote these songs and it's, it's fun. And, uh, but you're right, you know, like uh, all my life, I wanted to be a famous rock star and have a roadie set my drums up and stuff. And I got that in docking, you know, mm. and we did that for all these years. And now we're back to, well, we can't afford that. Now I'm a roadie again, just like you were when you were 16, you know, mm-hmm. so, <laughs> I'm setting my own stuff up. And so it's very humbling. And uh, I think that's great. But I, I think I can do humble pretty well. Uh, you just have to do a little more work. But, you know, it's just hilarious. It has gone full circle, you know. Yeah. Well, Mick, it's been an honor to talk to you, and uh, thanks for the My many years. Too, very much. You're very well informed, by the way, and I, yeah. I really appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. No problem, Mick, and I'll have a good rest of the night. Why, thanks. So, so I'm drinking one in your honor right now. All right. I'll talk to you later, my All friend. All right, Mick. All right. Thanks very much. Anytime. All right. Bye-bye. There you go. A nice job on that one. Your first solo. Yeah. yeah. Nothing nothing broke up here. That was I, good. <laughs> I think I did I did one or two more solo, but I don't do them very often. Yeah. You, normally what happens is you call me and you go, I'm talking to such and such a dude. And I, I look at it and I'll go, no idea who he is. You're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And uh, yeah, that's the way, you know, that's the way it pans out. And yeah. I just said, look, I'd like to take this one. No. So, uh, no. Good, good job. Came off really well. And uh, so uh, you have no idea what we're doing next week. Nothing. I, I have well, you no want idea. Break. You want to take a break. But uh, I know whatever it is, it'll it'll be cool. But uh, anyways, I don't know. Good job. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Well, right. uh, the uh, episode 300 looks like uh, a gore. It's going to be very interesting. It will be interesting. <laughs> we have, well, by the time you air this, we might have done one or two interviews. But yeah, the three people I asked all said yes. Yeah. And, uh, it'll be I was amazed at number three. Were you? Yeah, I was. Well, I, was. I had a bit of a... We had a connection. Ah, okay. Because, like, I don't think that person's 
ever done such a thing before. You serious? I don't think so. I, I, you see, I don't, I don't look at uh, these things and go and you know, does he has he done tons of interviews? About I don't him? think he's uh, he's ever done a cast at all. all right. Yeah. So I was very surprised. Well, I'm not but, telling uh, him then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no. But, uh, no, very very cool. Uh, of course, uh, lots of other stuff uh, in the meantime. But uh, as, as always, uh, you can hook up with Richie on Facebook. He's posing the questions out there. We got a lot of people bugging us about Saxon again, too. Yep. Um, <laughs> when is the next Saxon episode? Oh, what what are we? What are we? What are we? We're, We're on, on four, I think. Yeah. We, what what albums are we on? We're on Lionheart. Uh, what's after that? Into the Labyrinth or Inner Sanctum? Good stuff. Yeah. They're good. We just did that. You know one. what? We gotta do. We gotta, <laughs> yeah, we gotta uh, we gotta get around to doing that. Yeah. Just yeah. just do it. But uh, anyways, uh, like I said, yeah, keep up with you on Facebook and uh, also keep up with us on Twitter. And as always, FocusOnMetal.net or uh, FocusOnMetal.blogspot.com. So uh, that wraps another week of Focus on Metal. So for uh, for myself, Richie, have yourselves a good metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember, Focus on Metal. Everything else is insignificant. You're still here? It's over. Go home.